0: Welcome to the Sanctuary podcast. My name is Daniel Whitehead. I am the CEO of Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries and during COVID-19, I'm also the host of our podcast. During COVID-19, we're doing things a bit differently. We're talking to friends of sanctuaries around the world, people that we know, people with different vocations, backgrounds, experiences to try and bring a bit more light to this whole area of faith and mental health. And today I'm joined by an old friend of mine, like a genuinely old friend and a friend, <laughs> as in a friend I've known a long time, not someone who is old. <laughs> um, I'm joined by Amy Robinson from England. Hi, Amy. Hi. Thank
1: you I'm,
0: for having me. Oh, no, it is it is a genuine joy to have you. I mean, it's always a joy to talk to my guests. But today, I, you know that I really do mean that. I'm not just saying that because um,
1: <laughs> I was
0: thinking, Amy, how long have I known you? um i was thinking it must be like when i
1: i mean when did 15 years well when did you start going to Fairham church Ah,
0: so this is the church i used to lead that that i knew amy from so uh, yeah i mean i i don't even know the answer to that probably 2003 2002 so maybe 18 years 18 years. I
1: would say as long as then, because our like groups were already mingled.
0: There you go. Yeah. yeah. So Amy went to a church just down the road from the church I used to lead, and her parents actually led that church. So, mm-hmm. um, and then Amy married uh, a good friend of mine, someone I used to mentor, <laughs> um, my good friend Ben. And uh, yeah, I'm telling them your story. That's like your own, You can. I like to. <laughs>
1: I don't need you <laughs> here.
0: You can just go, and I'll just tell them about Amy. Um, yeah. So uh I, Amy married Ben. I actually did. I officiate. I officiated yeah. at your wedding, didn't you did. I? Of course, I did. did. I
1: did. Yeah. Yes,
0: I remember well, that. My and
1: dad actually did the vows.
0: That's right. That's he did right.
1: Everything else.
0: Yes, I did the entertaining parts. The entertaining
1: parts. Yeah. The welcome, the funny jokes, the icebreakers,
0: mm-hmm. the talk Very about
1: love, important. which was brilliant. Oh good. I'm glad yeah, you remember was, it. Which was 12 years ago now.
0: Wow. Yeah. Amazing. There yeah. you go. Amazing. Yeah. So Amy, tell people a bit about um where you're from, your life, a bit about you. Um yeah.
1: Okay. Um I was brought up in a family of four. As Dan mentioned earlier, my parents were church leaders, so I think faith and busyness and community and the craziness that comes with a big family and church church life was definitely what I experienced growing up. Very fun, very fun, very creative. Um, we lived in a little town right by the sea and my dad actually owned a cafe. So my childhood is a great memory of walking across the beach with an free ice cream. (laughs) Um, I got married to Ben, who I actually didn't know very well before that. He was around and Dan knew him much better than I did when we were teenagers. Um, And he sort of came on my radar last minute. We got married very quickly. Um, Ben studied and Did his university experience in our first few years of marriage so that was great because it meant that we had a lot of time together um a lot of just like long summers a lot of fun we still felt like because we married quite young we still felt like we were living a bit of a young person's life um but then five years ago we had our first child who was a son called leo and two years ago i had my second child which is a daughter called felicity Mm.
0: Very good. And the mm-hmm. thing I'd say about Ben as if it needs to be said, is Ben is uh, a <clears throat> one of the funniest people I know. But he's also oh, annoyingly talented in so many ways. Like, yeah, he's hilariously funny, very sharp mind for humour, uh, brilliant musician, can play multiple instruments. Yeah, um, he's he was at the London School of Economics, which is one of the top universities yeah. in the UK, and just <laughs> just seemed to just do it in his stride. And then, yeah. Um, but just like the just the the loveliest man you'll ever meet so um there you go
1: yeah he is incredible he's incredible Mm. we've been best friends right from the beginning and we've remained that way he's he's just been the most amazing person I've ever met definitely and the closer that you get to knowing what he's like through and through just the better it is doesn't get yeah. complicated or messy. It's just more beautiful. So, yeah, I feel very, very, very blessed.
0: <laughs> mm, absolutely. And mm-hmm. not that I'm prone to these things, but I, just as an interesting aside, the thing I would say about Ben is when you attribute, with a great respect to his parents who, you know, also, I mean, I know Ben's mum way mm-hmm. better. You know,
2: mm-hmm. she's
0: been amazing how she's been a rock for her kids. and <clears throat> And I used to know Ben's dad, um, pretty well before, mm. but the thing I would say about Ben is if there's something that has made Ben who he is, I, you really, I think you really would point to God. Like honestly, yeah. Ben is yeah. he is lent so hard into God. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's not an episode about Ben, but
1: <laughs> it could be. <laughs> I, just,
0: I just like talking about Ben.
1: But, um,
2: <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but
0: let's
1: talk about
2: you. <laughs>
0: So one of the things Amy Amy has been doing is Amy's actually been um, working with our team. Amy's we're going to release a blog uh, by Amy very soon, which may have come out by the time this comes out. But um, Amy's a very talented writer who has uh, just kind of I don't know vocationally just sort of I don't know stumbled into that. I don't know, but um, she's got a real talent for putting words to um, what's going on. And and one of the main reasons I wanted to get Amy on is Amy I think Amy has potentially a a, a new perspective for us to think through around this whole intersection of faith and mental health and that is um i mean amy will share more but amy lives with a a a chronic illness and one of the interesting challenges i that i have seen for people living with a chronic illness particularly if you're from a tradition that places a strong emphasis on immediate visible healing Mm. as like one of the really the only valid sign of god's presence Mm. is there is an inevitable strain that comes in trying to hold those two worlds together so amy i wonder if you could speak a bit to that just um introduce us to yeah what your life has been like and diagnosis and just what that's looked like in your life
1: okay um gosh it's a big story (laughs) (laughs) so i originally started feeling quite unwell when i was about 18 um, it was a good and a difficult time to start having symptoms of something really difficult because I think good in the, I was a very buoyant, still teenager. I was very happy-go-lucky in my perspective towards life, um, but also difficult because I was right on the verge of becoming independent and wanting to start discovering what life was going to mean for me, what I was going to run after and I was the type of person that was just full of dreams Um, and I thought that all of them would be possible one day if I wanted them to be Um, so 18 when I was 18 I started having some just on off odd symptoms like I'd wake up in bed and I wouldn't be able to bend my back and then it would go by midday and then the next day I'd wake up I wouldn't be able to bend my knees but it would go by midday and it would go on and on like that I saw a few doctors. No one really knew what was going on until eventually when I was 19, I had um, what would be called an extreme flare of an autoimmune condition. So I, unfortunately for me, they didn't discover the autoimmune condition until I was mid flare, which is probably the worst way around to do it because it gets very extreme and out of control and you haven't yet started putting in measures for holding your body in a safer place. Um, But I got taken to hospital, I was so extremely ill, that was the first week was definitely fighting for my life, the doctors were, you know, not convinced that I was going to live, it was, my whole body was just unwell. Um, And within that week, they diagnosed me with actually something called mixed connective tissue disease. Um, But the main component of that disease is lupus, which is an autoimmune condition where your immune system gets quite confused about what is a foreign entity in your body and what is your own body. And so it goes, not only does your immune system multiply out of control, like it just multiplies and multiplies and multiplies and multiplies, but also it then starts attacking your own body. Um, and the only way you can really manage that is to suppress your immune system, to just stop it having the capacity to multiply. Um, lupus is a difficult one because it's one of the only ones that's very systemic in its nature, which means that it can it, flares can be very different they can you can have one time it can attack one part of your body the next time it can attack something different it's very unknown I actually figured that out the hard way because um the first flare where I was in hospital for a month it didn't subside for about three years so that was a very very long drawn out painful difficult time um But it was all sort of in my extremities. It was all in my joints. It was all in my muscles. I was very thankful, actually, that I didn't have any organ damage. Um, But it was just very acutely painful every day. Um, And then a few years later, I actually had another type of flare, which was organ-based. It was my brain and my heart, which I think that one was probably much worse for me actually because it involved a lot of my internal world like what my mental stability what I saw as my ability to communicate myself my own identity um that was that became a very dark night of the soul that flare um yeah so when I first got diagnosed, I think I was um, part of a very charismatic, beautiful Christian community who actually were very, very loving and have taught me a lot about love and goodness and life. But like you said, Dan, it's, it was a difficult thing because the way that we would often face suffering was to um, manage it or resist it or find ways, you know, actually, if I think back to all of the things that we did, it mostly looked like trying to control it. It's so uncomfortable to open yourself up to the vulnerability of deep suffering, even for the person looking on, let alone the person going through it that your main way of trying to work around those moments with someone is to try and constantly take it to a different place, a lighter place, an easier place, or a place that can be fixed. Um, I've always had a deep, a deep hope to know God. I think that's always been a high value for me. So getting sick I would naturally do what I had already decided was faith what was what God would want me to do I was always very zealous to do what I believed God wanted me to do and I think what I'd learned up until that point what I believed myself was that God Mm. would want me to be um speaking positive scriptures over my life every day, asking for healing all of the time, be consistently focused on the problem so that I could change it into something that looked more like God's love. Um, And I think probably for the first three years, that really did describe how I related to being ill. Um, I was always trying to live in almost in a facade in a in an illusion of life a made-up reality where i wasn't sick and where i could carry on doing all of the things that i thought i was always going to do i didn't really listen to any of my body's or mind's limitations i had no no grace for that i sort of still viewed myself the way I always had, um, and I felt like that was proof of faith. And the funny thing was that that is what is validated. You know, lots of people would say to me, "Oh, you're so amazing, because you just don't ever get down, and you're constantly talking about all the things God's going to do." And and really, it was it wasn't trust deep deep down. It was fear. It was the inability to be real. It was the inability to not only let God in to where I was at, but for me to be present with myself where I was at. Mm. Um, I was constantly asking God to come and meet a version of me that I was making up. Mm. And um, that's a very difficult thing because God is real (laughs) and he loves what's real. And, I had no way of getting to my reality because that world was so shrouded with shame. It looked like it looked like weakness to engage and embrace the reality of my life. Mm. Um, and it looked like failure. It looked like you were giving up on God. Hmm. It, and it. What's really funny is that it took God years of softening me for Him to be able to invite me. Into vulnerability with him, into my reality, you know, to actually start to engage with and embrace the truth of my life, of my body, to find, to love it, to love Mm -hmm. what was mine, to love what had become mine, to love my story, and to then eventually find that God was there. God was there when I chose to show up, he was there already (laughs) waiting for me to arrive almost. Um, Yeah, I think um, there was the second flare that happened that was very like all the internal mix up. Um, It's a difficult thing because when you go through very dark times, I don't think you can ever pin it on one you can't say it's one specific thing that's going on in you as everything else in being human, it's much more complex than that. Mm. Um, and I think I was, you know, my heart was physically flaring, which meant that um, my the tissue around my heart was swelling and putting pressure on my heart. So I was in this perpetual state of anxiety, like 24 seven, I couldn't eat or sleep um it just felt like deep deep darkness mm. deep depression i couldn't organize my mind and no matter how um dedicated i was to the resistance of the reality you know <laughs> pushing myself into the positive forcing you know, forcing myself to live in the idea of prophecies rather than in my day, I just couldn't make it work anymore. Hmm. It was like I got to the point where probably the accumulation of not living in truth or love for a few years and having this these constant denial mechanisms hmm. and thinking I'm doing the right thing, but also not feeling free in any way.
2: Mm. And Mm. then,
1: and it building up and building up and building up. And then you start embracing the reality that actually I didn't get healed. It's been a few years and I thought it would have gone away by now. And Mm. I, I almost, because I think I shielded myself so well at the beginning I think I only felt the trauma. I only had to grieve the trauma of getting ill years down the line when I Hmm. finally allowed myself to feel the trauma. Um, And then I went through that process of letting myself become exposed Mm. um, and almost relaxing I know that sounds funny because it's—it's it's like when you're in this deep and dark and vulnerable place, the last thing you want to do is relax into it. <laughs> Your fight or flight mechanisms are going off like crazy, and mm. you want to do anything to fix it. And you'll latch on to anyone that tells you they've got a method. But I just felt like God was inviting me to. Um, to just be real and to let it be okay, to find a way of saying today as this day is, is enough. Hmm. And actually instead of resisting it, I'm going to get to know it. I'm going to learn my limitations and love them because in whatever, even though I don't like them, they protect me. They help Hmm. me. They're a form of love for me. Hmm. Um, And so I want to know them. And I started to just stop comparing my day with an image of what I wanted my day to look like or what I had originally decided was successful in his eyes Mm. or faith-filled in his eyes. And I actually started to realize it takes much more faith to just be human. (laughs) Hmm. To not try and use spirituality to shield you from humanity, but to let yourself be the whole thing. Hmm. Um, And to even start to rewire your brain to see it as beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I think that was that was the beginning of God breaking down a great dualistic divide in my mind. I think I'd always grown up with feeling like everything in the world fit within these categories of right and wrong or mm. light and dark or positive and negative and and I had probably quite subconscious i don't think anyone specifically told me this but i think i just learned that faith looks like your ability to remain in the positive side in the light yeah. the good side
0: yeah
1: so there therefore if you have anything that's if you have depression or anxiety or you go through darkness you feel like your only job is to transform it from the darkness to the lightness.
2: Mm. Mm.
1: And long-term suffering doesn't allow you that luxury. (laughs) Yeah, For a while, you go through a momentum of thinking, I can do this, and you force it. And I think the reason why we force it is because we think that that's where God's love will be. Almost Mm. if I can make the crossover, I will feel peace and I will know joy and I will start to be free again mm. um, and it it sets you up to fight with anything that doesn't fit in that lightness so you just yeah. if that so you're very, trapped you're trapped yeah mm. and if that very thing is happening within your body and within your mind
0: mm. you
1: you it's almost like we validate this Civil war that goes on inside of us. We tell us that that is the fight of faith, and yes, yeah, damaging ourselves further. What what we really need is the sweet mercy of love that meets us. In that, I think what God started to teach me was that He doesn't look at me with those categories. He doesn't see any of it in. Mm he doesn't prefer one one moment to any other moment he comes towards me with no he doesn't discriminate towards what is the substance of my day what mm. he what he wants is truth what he wants is me to be able to offer him me and i can't offer him me if i'm too busy shielding and fighting me i yeah. have to i have to lean into it i have to say it's okay it's good i'm mm. I have to let vulnerability, the vulnerability of being human be a part of my life because it is a part of my life. Mm.
0: Um,
1: And then once I'm really owning and holding what I have and I've started to break down the cycles of shame that would have stopped me doing that before, I can, I start to just become much more at home and, and then it's, it's much easier to invite god into a home that you are already in
0: <laughs> yeah
2: you
1: know and it,
0: you know amy it strikes me as you're as you're talking about this i mean what's it, like a, a physiological challenge a biological challenge that mm. obviously the the strands of mental health are ob- so clearly and obviously attached to that you can't separate them out right no. and and that whole I think your story seems to reflect what many people face in the church who live with a either a diagnosed or an undiagnosed mental health challenge is that this inner life and the outer life don't match they have to perpetually live uh with without lining up and then and that creates this unsaid implicit shame yeah and that compounds the issue because I'm sure Carrying shame in your body is not going to help your body, and it's no. definitely not going to help your mental health. I think, yeah. I think Brené Brown said that no, there is no good shame.
1: No. um
0: I, I was thinking this through with a colleague because someone challenged that, someone from outside the organisation, gently sort of challenged it. Said, "Well, are you sure?" And we we're going, "Ah, oh. so can shame ever act redemptively? Like it can be a jolt to us to change things." I and I guess it could if you felt mm. shame and then you went. Oh, I shouldn't be feeling this. Something's out of sync in my life. I'm yeah. going to, you know, yeah. make some changes. I'm not going to live with different realities. Yeah. But in order to do that, you have to have a foundation of love and security. Yeah. You have to know that I it, I can I can rest on something that's going to yeah. hold me. Whereas if your whole life has been built around behaving one way and not appearing a certain way and, you know, faithfulness equals
1: mm.
0: biological health. And mm. and and probably a bit of wealth because that's just our Western culture validates that as well.
1: Mm.
0: It's like unless it looks like that, I'm failing, and I need yeah. to pretend I'm not failing. Mm. Um, speak a bit more to uh, when did you become aware that that was having a detrimental effect on your mental health, on like your sense of wellness, just your sense of peace. When did you? When was that? Was there a moment when you went, "Oh, hang on, I have this this kind of living a lie or living." out of sync with my outward appearance and inward appearance is damaging my well When, when was that point?
1: Um, there was a specific point. There was a moment where I, I actually, I actually got very angry. I, there was an, it was, it had been a really, really difficult long season. Um, the limitations had closed in my life very extremely. There was very, very little that I now had control over. And I just, I was carrying this sense of like, God wants to heal me. And I felt like no matter what I was doing, I just couldn't get it to happen, which is, you know, the mindset I was, I wouldn't think that way now. But And I remember just getting infuriated with him, like he was dangling a beautiful life in front of me, but I was just never able to reach it. And I remember going out for a walk one day and just shouting at God and just being like, that's it. I want you to heal me now. I want you to just do this. I want you to fix me. I want you to fix it. And I just remember hearing God say to me, uh amy if i healed you now then healing would become a god to you and not me you would always believe that healing was the door of everything you needed because that would be where it, where all of your needs were satisfied but i am here with you but i'm here but i'm i'm right here so every single thing that you need i can give to you
2: mm-hmm
1: whether it comes in the shape of healing or not, everything that you, tr- that you really need that's underneath like that peace and that joy that you, that your soul is really searching for. And you've just become convinced is only manifest in healing is right here. And mm. I can show you how to access it, how to let it in and, mm. um, and that was the moment that I realized that every way that I was thinking was setting me up to fail. It was, mm. I I realized that everything that God offers and promises was readily accessible for me, but I had no idea how to reach out for it because all my theology didn't contribute to that process Mm. Um, so I said I honestly felt like I went down this journey very much on my own where I just said okay God like teach me from scratch teach me and exactly like what you would said actually what you said about shame um, one of the things about vulnerability that I think we find difficult is that it's just very exposing in its nature and a lot of things that we would never want to look at so we try and morph it into something else so we never have to look at it truly but I just started to really take note of what I thought and of what I felt and of what I was believing and I would just like if I felt triggered in a moment and I would start having deep anxiety I would I would always work it back to what am I believing What do I believe about Mm. you? What do I believe about myself? And what is, what's missing? What truth should be where I've got a faulty perception Mm. of things? Um, Mm. And I have to say it was very much, I wanted to learn how to look after my mind. I wanted to learn how to, you know, there were some parts like, the actual lupus part where it was physically putting pressure on my mind. I couldn't change that, but I could give my mind truthful food. That was the way I sort of saw it. I want to start finding truth. I want to really, I want to test everything. I want to test every belief that I have and work it Mm. through to find out whether it really is made of the stuff of love and life Um, and if I couldn't find that in it, if I found that actually, I think really that's perpetuated by fear. A lot of it was perpetuated by fear for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I think most of the things that people, most of the attributes that people would have celebrated in me was all very fear driven. And that was the hard thing to see because you start feeling, almost like you're getting more and more naked and it becomes you realize you don't actually know who you are. You're just like this accumulation of all these messy things. Mm. Um, But that's the beautiful thing about doing that vulnerable process with God, that he's, he allows you to feel the vulnerability of exposure and him taking things away and the emptiness that that leaves you with. Um, and then you yeah. just start to be hungry for what's true. Like, mm. okay, now feel, fill that space with what is true, what is true. And you need to teach it to me in a way that I really believe it. I really see it and trust it because I want it to be a part of my life. Mm. Um, and I have to say, I mean, I, I just did that continuously probably for about five years. Um, I cried every day. (laughs) It was a highly emotional process, but I just.
0: You're probably doing catch up, emotional catch up on on a lifetime, possibly, when you maybe, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe you didn't feel able to lament, mourn, and grieve because there wasn't space for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I think one of the things, Amy, you're talking, there's a few really interesting strands there. I think of uh, John Swinton, who's one of our ambassadors. I once heard him, um, who's a a theologian in uh, Aberdeen, for anyone who cares to know. Um, (laughs) John gave this really interesting, I don't think it was his, it was someone else's, but this interesting definition of love, just a simple definition of love, is to say to another person, I see you as you are,
2: Mm. and
0: I'm glad that you're here as you are. And, And for us as people to be seen by God, and for god to say that to us is what each and every one of us needs to hear and as the people of god we need to be affirming that in others and when you talked about that point where you were crying out to god saying god heal me i need to be healed like basically this is the only narrative i have for understanding what i'm going through now is the time you've got to do your job because i've done everything (laughs) i've got to do yeah and you offer god that ultimatum and and the the still small voice comes back and says i'm I'm with you, mm. like that's enough, I'm with yeah. you, I'm present. It's really interesting because, again, drawing on John's work, John would say, and I'm, obviously I agree with him, um, that our our Western world, our modern world, mm. I would say we're in late modernity, some people call it post-modernity, but whatever you call it, mm. this, this period of philosophical thought in our world has geared us to view personhood as primarily being... Um, about med- biomedical wellness. is um, like, basically, unless you're biomedically yeah. well, you yeah. don't really serve a purpose in our culture because yeah. this is all about what you can produce. Your value is yeah. attached to what you can produce. The Bible paints a very different picture of the value of humanity. And yeah. that's why Jesus got into so much trouble because he was yeah. basically treading all over these religious systems yeah. and these cultural systems that put some people down, like lepers and women and children and mm-hmm. people who were bleeding, like you're down, kept the the outer courts of the temple were horrendous and full of robbers and crime. And the middle, the center court was like beautiful and ornate. And, mm. and that's what made Jesus so angry. So mm. Jesus treads all over this. And it, it strikes me that if we're really talking about a biblical vision of wellness for people, rather than someone being medically well or looking like a Olympic athlete mm. and who's wealthy, which is basically who we hold up in our head as being a successful person. That's what Hollywood tells us. And very often, sadly, the church implicitly tells us that as well. Yeah. The Bible presents an idea of wellness, which is entirely driven by our relationship to God. It's, yeah, this, it's the presence of shalom, yeah. It's the presence of, of, of great relationship to God and yeah. obviously vicariously and necessarily great relationship to other people, to creation and yeah. to ourselves. Yeah. That the minute we can relate well to ourselves, we're putting ourselves in a great position to relate well to God. Yeah. But it's predicated on us understanding that God and others look at us and say, I see you as you are, mm. and I'm glad that you're here.
1: Yeah.
0: And and for all the challenges of a, a, a health, wealth, prosperity, or, a, you know, and, and the trappings that come with that, I'm not denouncing, the idea, as I know you're not, the idea of praying for healing. And mm. this, this is God's healing. It's not mine. Mm. He can do mm. what he wants. Mm. But sadly, it, it seems from what you're saying yeah. that, if you're very if you're not careful with that message yeah. if you bang that drum too much yeah there are people there who aren't experiencing that that type of healing they may be yeah. experiencing a different type of healing which is the relational healing which yeah. i would suggest is more in line with the biblical vision of yeah. healing but if they're not they can experience shame yeah absolutely. and then the disconnect comes from inner life to outer life and certainly yeah. for people in the midst of mental health or chronic disease or chronic illness that is a that is a major challenge that the church has to be aware of and think carefully about how they communicate those things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I used to look at, so I remember getting to the point where I was saying to God, okay, what sort of posture can I have every day? And he taught me this just very simple method of saying yes to him. I felt like my only job and actually You know, to try and put a standard of success or health on someone that actually is very outside of their control is quite cruel. It's a cruel measure. Mm. Um, And I felt like God was saying to me, what the wholeness of life, the wholeness of life, which in the end your body benefits from too, um, is in your yes, almost just your, exactly like what you said, I'm saying yes to letting God come close to me. I'm, hmm. I'm saying yes to him, um, allowing space in my moment today. And we start to find that when we start living in the beauty of a yes, we that's what we start to be able to give other people. I have a yes for you, even though you're mm. not fixed, or even though you're going through suffering, I have a yes for who you are today, you know? Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. And there's a and there's a great picture in that, Amy, when you think about the arc of the, the biblical narrative, you think about that in, in, in Genesis and in the Genesis narrative, when there was that break in the relationship between humanity and god Mm. and and humanity tries to cover up and hide Mm. and and suddenly put an appearance on to to be acceptable to the other in which case god and it's like ever since then god's just been trying to meet us where we're at which we see in in the incarnation jesus coming (laughs) to be a you know rural lower middle class carpenter in a little dead-end place and that's the image of god that we have who's there present with people and with all the people that no one else wanted to be with it's like here we are again with people in the midst particularly in the work of sanctuary trying to support people in the midst of churches many of whom don't feel able to talk about what's really going on don't have the language or the framework and here is god standing just asking for a a yes that says
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah god i'll let you i'll let you close uh, and and i'll let you close by letting others close but we need mm-hmm. to have that safety that place yeah. a safe space a sanctuary to be able to know that when we say yes, all we're going to receive is a loving embrace from God and yeah. hopefully from others because yeah. the two are actually linked. How we yeah. how we live and behave and act should be yeah. a reflection of who God is and that's how people can experience and encounter God in yeah, this one right. way.
1: I think it has to start off that the simplicity of a yes is enough. I think like... I did a very extreme, I went down extreme measures to try and help my mind to learn this because, like what you said, I was so. um, You can have this way of saying yes to God, yes, God, come in so that you can do XYZ, XYZ. And our, our center is still focused on how we can become bigger or better versions of ourselves, even the ascent of who we are, you know, constantly wanting to ascend to something more. And I just remember feeling like it was really important to let go of all of those things. And I would say, even if I never did anything with my life, this is enough. Even if uh, my limitations never eased up, this is enough. Even if I'm never healed, this is enough. And that was almost what we were saying yes to. And I think that introduces a purity of mercy almost into the yes where it's not conditional. It's not, yes, so that you can jump me back onto this train that I need to be on, which is to get to somewhere else. It is just sitting in the moment with each other. Mm. Um, and often that is the place where the most, you know, even though this is not the point, it's almost the fruit after the fact that you're always already whole with that sense of yeah. his love with you but it does become the easiest place for transformation to unfold. Yeah. But you just aren't clinging to it anymore. If it happens, mm. it's beautiful, but you're just, it's not needed almost. Mm. Just, this moment is enough. Yeah. yeah.
0: Amy, um, thank you so much for sharing your, your candor and honesty. Um, oh, pleasure. It's I mean, I knew you. I knew you'd do this because I've known you a long time. But um, I, I just think there's something tremendously empowering, and that there's a gift there you've given for for people. Um, whether people are living okay. with a, a chronic illness, or whether they're living with a, I mean, a chronic illness, whether that's a biological one or a, yeah. a mental one, or somewhere in between, yeah. um, there's just so much permission for people there to feel and to and to know that God. God sees us as we are mm. and his promises to be with us and uh, we can kind of leave, leave the rest to him.
1: Mm-hmm. Good. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. Thank you so much.
2: Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries exists to equip the church to be a sanctuary for all people at all stages of their mental wellness journeys. May this podcast encourage you to create safe space for your own story and the stories of others as well as create change in communities that stigmatize those suffering with mental health challenges. The Sanctuary Course is a small group resource designed to help initiate and guide conversations about mental health and faith. It is a starting point, creating a base of shared knowledge from which churches can explore the next steps. Perhaps most importantly, through the simple act of talking openly about mental health, the course helps churches begin to create safe spaces for people to share their mental health stories and receive support in community. Each theme in the course is explored from a psychological, social, and theological perspective, and each session is accompanied by a compelling film focused on an individual story, a person of faith who has journeyed through mental health challenges. Interested in exploring the Sanctuary Course for use in your community? Learn more at sanctuarycourse.com. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives 4.0 license. Don't change it or sell it, but please share it all you like.